Hello and welcome to the 79th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we are catching up. We are going to talk about what Matt and I have been doing lately, and we're also going to reintroduce the segment that we introduced many, many, many episodes ago called The Call Sheet. A year ago? (laughs) At least a year ago. I think it was a year ago. Where we talked to a crew member from The Call Sheet. Today we're going to talk to Bramley about costume design. She works on a lot of TV shows. She does a lot of Nickelodeon things which uh, is fun because they have crazy costumes, but she's also worked with us, with both Matt and myself, and she is amazing. And we're going to talk to her about her relationship with directors and why she gets so easily annoyed by them. But first, we are going to catch up. So Matt, can you please tell us what you've been working on lately? Yeah, man. So I uh, I was traveling all over the country um, where I went to I road tripped from Denver to Breckenridge to a, for a film festival, and then when you say road trip, you mean drove, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So okay. we well, we flew into Denver and then rented a car and then drove to Breckenridge, which is like uh, about forty minutes out of Vail, I guess, allegedly, um, depending on who's driving. And then um, we went to Casa Bonita. Did I tell you that? No. It's like a crazy Mexican restaurant in Denver that's like themed out. It's in an episode of South Park. Oh, okay. Um, and it was everything I'd hoped for and uh, the worst Mexican food I've ever had <laughs> in a way that I really enjoyed. I had a great time. Oh. But it was, um, I think, as an Angelino, I think uh, I really cherish um, Mexican food. And Northern California. Like, I come from, I've only lived in places with incredible Mexican food, and Casa Bonita is a different style of cuisine than I was used to. Anyway. Right. People give us a lot of beef about being like elitist <laughs> about Los Angeles. Uh, but you don't realize how good the Mexican food is here until you eat Mexican food anywhere other than here. Well, L.A. is a is a taco town. Northern California is more of a burrito area. So yeah. anyway, um, Denver, we drove through Kansas City. We drove, drove tip to tip of Kansas into St. Louis and then up into Chicago um, for another festival. And uh, it was a great time. Uh, but Wait, so um, how many festivals? Two festivals. One, one in Colorado, one in Illinois. And this is with uh, Chrissy's movie. Right, with my wife's movie, Killed in Action. That with, you produced. With, that I produced. Correct. So would you say it's your movie also? I, I could, but she wrote, starred, and directed it. So it's much more interesting to talk to her than it is to talk to me. That's generally true, but also in this case especially true. I was listening to the Making Movies is Hard podcast the other day, and Tim had directed a short film that Ulrich produced, and they were getting feedback on it. And Tim was like, well, I mean, you're the producer, so this feedback is really for both of us. But all the feedback was like very creative feedback, which obviously Mm -hmm. the producer has an effect on. But I feel like as a producer, you don't take that stuff as personally (laughs) than as a director or writer. Yeah, yeah, especially, yeah. Um, anyway, it's just, it's funny to think, but then who wins the Oscar for best film? It's the producer. Sure. That's true. That's true. And I get to, uh, travel all over the country with a movie. So that's pretty great too. So if you guys get an Oscar for short film, you will, I would be the one accepting it, it, which is pretty insane considering (laughs) that one of us produced it and the other one 
wrote, wrote everything and else. stars and directs it. Yeah, and one of us great. did the visual effects on it. Yeah, that's Let's true. Let's not forget. That's true. Historical accuracies, thanks to Orrin Kaplan. Um, but yeah, so that was really incredible. But uh, the thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, I'm traveling basically for work this whole time. And we've got a lot of other stuff going. You know, the end of the year tends to be relatively busy for us because people are spending down ad budgets and like realizing, like, oh, you know. Uh, the end of the year is just around the corner so if we want to get something done this calendar year you kind of have to it's do or die time and there is a lull during the summer mm-hmm. yeah that's palpable yeah i uh i lucked out and didn't have that so i'm pretty tired uh, <laughs> right right <laughs> but uh but yeah normally i think fourth of july tends to be a, a division point in the year of like things wrap up around then and then it takes a little bit of time to get things going again and then people start doing their holiday campaigns and things like that so right like even like the fall season of TV basically starts like now. Right, right, exactly. Which is right now. What's the date now? Uh, it's October 1st. October 1st, yeah. So I guess we're officially in the fall, yeah. speeding towards winter. Yeah, yeah, careening towards winter, I'd say. Um, but so, yeah, so we, we've basically just been on our phones constantly, even though we're driving through this amazing countryside as the seasons are changing and stuff. Um, and so, you know, it's a funny thing. It's it's incredible because I took like basically a week and a half off to go do this thing and didn't have to ask anyone knew I hadn't booked work or anything. So it wasn't a big deal like that. It's the opportunity of a freelancer to, to take that time and really utilize it. Um, and I knew that I had work coming up, um, and a bunch of other projects, but at the same time I didn't disconnect, you know, like I was saying when I got home today, um, it's not that I feel refreshed and I'm back to work. I just feel like I'm a week behind. Right. And do you, so let's say you make a short film or a feature or anything and you're traveling around with it, promoting it. Who pays for all that travel? Right. So uh, we, because we have a decent amount of festival experience, you kind of know who to ask what for. Um, and so if you're smart, you can get lodging and transportation covered. Uh, shorts are a lot harder to do that with, but a feature you can get both of those things covered. Or, like you had said before in a previous episode, don't go and then get a screening fee. Um, right. A lot of people, so many people don't know that festivals spend money on filmmakers. Right. Whether yeah. it's for their lodging or for their movies. So you shouldn't be ashamed to ask. Once you get accepted, obviously. Right. <laughs> ask well, for the screening fee. And it's easier to get lodging than it is to get uh, airfare because lodging, they tend to be able to get those in in-kind donations from um, sometimes sponsors. Sponsors, Like in this case, we stayed in the swanky um, ski lodge thanks to Breckenridge. Breckenridge Film Festival was awesome. And then uh, Naperville Film Festival put us up in local hotels as well. And they, in both cir- circumstances, were really awesome about that. Um and then there's a lot of free food and stuff as well. So, you know, we did the math. We said, okay, well, we've got, you know, four nights of this trip already covered. Plane, ticket, plane tickets are $150. So um, why not make a trip out of it and, like, basically have food and lodging, lodging covered for a half of our trip? Sounded like a pretty way, pretty good way to do things. And certainly we were lucky because we're married because we're freelancers, it wasn't hard for us to, to take that week off. Right. Um, and you found that insane parking deal. <laughs> <laughs> Did you end up doing that? We ended up doing that, uh, and it was like a total disaster. <laughs> oh. yeah. The way I heard about it is Matt said he's going to stay at a hotel by LAX 
the night before his flight because if you stay at that hotel one night, you get two weeks of free parking there. Right, which would have saved, saved which us. Which would have been cheaper than the parking costs. And ultimately, it all worked out that way. But through like a lot of like uh, help from um, the local staff, because it was a little misleading that that basically is kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That happens. So Sometimes. shout out to... Um, the staff of a hotel that I'm not going to name because I don't <laughs> want to get anybody in trouble. Right. Um, That's hilarious. Um, cool. So yeah. is that, so you were traveling, is that the yeah. traveling you were talking about? Yeah, basically I think it's, or, or you know, when I, we just done the uh, spots in Kentucky, like I'd mentioned before. And I think it's, it's just interesting to embrace working nonstop always, but also being able to vacation as a work vacation as well. You know, I got to see, you know, Kansas City, St. Louis, Chicago, thanks to these film festivals. And, you know, I paid for those legs myself, but also, like, I wouldn't have done that in the first place and had an amazing time in each city, um, but also was always working. Like, we would spend each morning writing and emailing and all of that stuff because we're in prep on these other things. You know, we always remind ourselves, like, the reason that we get to take this time off is because we work all the time. And so, like, it's the trade-off. Do you, I feel like, or in like when you travel for work or for pleasure, do you unplug or how does that work for you? Uh, I'm pretty sure I do what everyone does, which is I secretly don't unplug. <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm with my family, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I love relaxing by the pool. And then as soon as I'm alone, I'm like, what, what, what are my emails that I'm missing? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, if I ever have to go to the restroom. Sometimes sure. I might check my email while I'm in is, there. Is Oren's digestion okay? Yeah, You've I have been a, in there a bunch. Yeah, everyone knows me as having a crazy stomach. You know, we talk about this all the time, but like, this work is really fun, and so it's like not fun to be completely disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I don't. Um, well, cool. But yeah, so so it's uh it's kind of um golden handcuffs, I guess, but I, the takeaway is we like it, so it's kind of great no matter what. As long as the people you are with understand the situation. You know, because right, I think that course. can be really challenging. Right? Um because it's like oh, well the reason I get to be here is because I know that I'll have to be on my phone a little bit, you know. Right. So you could just not be there, period, and stay home and work all the time. Or you could go out and also be a little distracted here and there. So I find something that helps is to set that up before the trip and say, hey, just so you know, I'm going to have a phone call on this day and a meeting on this day and I have to send an email and look at an edit on this day. Um, but I, I'm going to try to not be on my phone for the rest of the time. Yeah. Yeah. There's some satisfaction about, like, I love noting something poolside <laughs> that makes me feel very successful in a weird way yeah that is weird yeah it's weird um, um i well, can't watch anything in the sun <laughs> yeah well i do i'm bad at my job so that's great um so Oren, uh tell me what you have been working on lately well so this is very much related to our podcast uh, our listeners will our regular listeners will know that i was like a very big proponent of like buying a domain called directed by your name.com <laughs> so because it's something that matt pollock who was on our on our podcast he has he owns the domains mattedits.com and mattdirects.com and so 
Uh, I think orndirects.com. I felt like I was copying Matt, so I bought sure. directedbyorn.com. I set up this new website on Squarespace. I love it, blah, blah, blah. I put it on Facebook. It got kind of passed around a little bit. People seem to respond really well to it. And uh, on the website. And your old URL forwards to that new website yeah, as well, Yeah, I right? took my old URL, orndfilm.com, and made it forward to directedbyorn.com. So now I kind of centralized my website. And I kind of took a cue from you and Pollock and Paul Briganti, all these directors that I felt like were kind of in the same space as me and just made, you go to this webpage and you just see a bunch of work. Yeah. Yeah. Like a mosaic of pieces you can click on. Um, And that's it. You know, and hopefully the better ones are up top and with really good thumbnails and a celebrity and a comedy thing and an action thing and whatever. So you can also click on contact, right? And on the contact page, there's a contact form, which is so lame. Who uses contact forms? I don't know. It's sure. just yeah. default, right? Um, and then uh, I write, you can also email me at oren at uh, directedbyoren.com. But I type it in a way that like a robot can't pick up that address, right? Mm-hmm. I put the at in parentheses. And right, whatnot. right. And that was like a year ago that I made the site and everything was great. And then again, our listeners might remember that I was complaining a little bit over the summer about the lack of work and how things have been kind of slow. So taking those two pieces, putting them together with the fact that Matt got hired to shoot these Kentucky lottery spots by someone, Bill Mann, who listens to the podcast, who had claimed to him that he tried to contact me as well. I put all the pieces together. Turns out none of my contact information on my website was actually getting to me. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, you guys, Oren sent me a screenshot of just one page of yeah. missed emails. And there's like it, like a smorgasbord of great gigs that you missed out on. I mean, don't you think that would be like a good sketch? Like the guy that doesn't realize that everyone wants to hire him, but he, he he's not contactable. I remember some guy, I think Eddie Murphy or someone was like on The Tonight Show one time. And he's like, I read this amazing script once and I was like so excited to do it and everything. And he's like, let's do this script. Let's call the guy, you know, that wrote it. And they're like, well, uh, there's no contact info on the script. <laughs> and so he never did that movie. That's like, that was my story over the summer. We so, should tell Eddie Murphy about IMDb Pro. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, it was sure. a while ago. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, so yesterday I spent the day emailing back these amazing people that were offering me jobs. I got an offer, oddly enough, to direct uh, four out of the 10 episodes of a series that Matt ended up directing uh, for New Form. And uh, I got uh, emails from a couple of production companies that were really cool production companies. One that was like for an Amazon Echo commercial from Digital Kitchen in Seattle. And they were like, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. They're like, hey, man, we like your stuff. Through the podcast or just they found you? They didn't tell me how they found me, but they said, you know, we're looking for a director real fast. Can you, Mm, would you be available to shoot like in two weeks or whatever? And they sent this to me in July. So (laughs) I would have been available. Had I seen that email. Yeah, like hard up for work, like sweating how you're never going to work again. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. Anyway, so I'm catching up on all these emails. It's a bummer that I missed out on all these jobs, but I told everyone like, hey, I just saw this email because of some email technicalities, but uh, please keep me in mind for the future, right? Um, But uh, a lot of things that I also got there is people that listen to our podcast that are said, that said like, hey, you know, I'd love to take you out to, for a coffee and talk to you. I'm moving to L.A. or I'm a new filmmaker or whatever. Uh, and to segue kind of to the second section of my catch up. Real quick. It's so funny. I don't feel like I never get those emails and it's just dawning on me. Are you the nice one? 
No, absolutely not. Because I thought I was the nice one. You are the nice one. I tried to play the jerk on the podcast. So interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't like 50 emails, maybe like 15 emails. Well, I'll show you some of them. Yeah, yeah. And on at least one of them, you were CC'd. And also, I'm also pretty bad about that stuff. Yeah, you might not be replying to to as many emails. Um, I think a requirement to for me to have coffee with one of our listeners is going to be that you must have listened to all the episodes. Oh, no, don't do that to people. I I don't have to repeat anything we've already said. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes people email me. We obviously had the episode about Jacob Perlin, my manager, who was willing to take, you know, review materials from our listeners, which for the record, we've forwarded every single email. 100% of them, yeah. Yeah, to Jacob. We don't know what happens once they get to Jacob. If he looks at them, passes them on, whatever, but just know that we've been forwarding them to Jacob. Which is also kind of standard, you know, like you'll hear when you're ready, basically, is kind of the frustrating but standard advice on that sort of stuff. So don't be discouraged if you don't hear back, you know. Right. And some reps, they will write back like, hey, that, I, that you know, the material doesn't resonate with me right. and other people just don't write back at all. So. Uh, oftentimes, I think you'll get a um, response when you have a more personal relationship. If it's like a friend who re- refers you and they do a lot of work together or something like that, that's when you tend to get a little bit more. Yeah. I find that know. even with our podcast, we have a few listeners that have like corresponded with us a few times and sometimes mm-hmm. it's we only really start engaging with them like the third time or something that they email us. Anyway, so I got some emails from a few of our listeners. It happened a few times where they sent some materials and I watched them and I thought they were really good. But on occasion, I see something that I feel like is a little insensitive in the material. Um, like I saw this one uh, director had, had shared some videos with me that I felt portrayed violence against women as like a setup for a joke and it it was like it wasn't that bad but i just feel like it was a little insensitive right well i i think maybe to kind of like open it up broaden it out a little bit like every once in a while you will see something that uh yours doesn't click with you sensibilities wise and like maybe you have a hunch won't click with other people Right, whether right. that's a depiction of violence or racism or uh, un- like always unintentional, right? It's like, right, no, it's right. like oh, I'm a racist, I'm going to do this, or, or or I'm sexist, or whatever. But like something that kind of like rubs you the wrong way, and they don't see. Right, 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 and that's the thing. It's like, and it's not just one person. I've kind of seen like work a few times from people that are like, hey, what do you think of this, or will you pass this on? And they're maybe trying to be edgy or like in yeah, your face, or extreme or funny. It, yeah, it's just. There is like, I even see this like with like professional Hollywood writers and directors that are a little bit older, you know, kind of from a generation before us where there'll be the punchline of this joke is that this girl doesn't like guys or something, you know, like something where it's like, yeah, that's not really funny. You know, that's like just life. (laughs) I I don't know. And so what I was going to ask you is like when you're in that situation, is there some responsibility to be like, hey, your work is great, it's shot great, directed great, performances are great, but there is something that struck me a little bit as insensitive and just I'm just letting you know that? Or do you just not say anything? Do you say, great job? Because if it was me and I was sending my work, mm-hmm. I sent you a video and I thought it was really funny or amazing and I'm going to yeah, send yeah. it out to all these people. And I'd be like, wait, and you're Lauren, like, yeah, like, this is racist sexist. and you yeah. don't get it. Yeah. 
um, or like appropriating thing, you know, like, sure. And, and we're in a time where everyone is extra sensitive about that. And I think we need to be sensitive to the fact that everyone is sensitive. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's a thing, I think oftentimes, even when you're directing stuff, people are trying to, in, in comedy in particular, if you push the envelope, you're going to go too far. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's going to take a lot of different forms and different phases. And it's really, really tricky to know what is okay and what isn't. And also like what your voice is, you know, like if you look at Tosh point, is a great example of like, um, most of his jokes I think wouldn't be acceptable for me. Right. Like, but they're acceptable to him right which is right. his own personal brand and his audience likes it and that's a different conversation yeah and right? he's also like he doesn't bag on like a certain group of people he bags on everyone right he's like yeah i hate that argument though that's like like it, yeah i'm not saying that that makes it okay i'm saying that that takes a little bit of the hurt this the um like it, it's harder to like your feelings aren't as hurt i think because you don't, f- I, I feel like his stuff is, he's not making personal attacks. Right. Or maybe it's easier to write him off because he's just an asshole. Yeah. Right? I mean, that said, I don't really, I'm not super familiar with his yeah. stuff. So yeah, I it's, could it's, be wrong. Yeah. Well, so, but my point is, is that like, I think you can make a joke that's similar to something that's funny on a uh, Tosh or something like that. Um, or even like a key and peel or something. And then be like, well, you know, that person made that joke. So it's okay for that. That's funny. I'll make that joke. Or a similar version of it. And the thing that's maybe the disconnect is that you have to be selling the thing that those people are selling in order for you to compare yourself aptly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's And that that, maybe you don't realize that what your what your brand is is different from what your messaging or your philosophy or politics may be. Right. Like when there's that disconnect, that's when it's like maybe worth it to be like, hey, I don't think you mean to do this thing that you are doing. Right. And it and it happens a lot with white male, you know, filmmakers. Like, you see someone who, like, in everything he makes, every female character is, like, the housewife, you know? Sure. And it's like, he probably doesn't even realize he's doing this. I think part I of... I think they call that unconscious bias, right? Yeah. It's like, we're just, like cliche in a way where if you see his work you're like is this, can this guy make something that feels more current and i shot this commercial last week where there was a, a punchline where this guy's like um trying to he uses the word man cave like oh i need my man cave so, something to that effect and it's weird because it was like it kind of came from the client but all the like kind of progressive writer people were like yeah we just Man cave, just we don't it like feel, that word. It feels old. Yeah, it feels like five years ago. It also feels sexist in a weird way. Mm. Not sexist, just like a man needs his cave. Like I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's not offensive to anyone. I don't think someone would see and say it's offensive. They would see and they'd just be like, eh, this is like not. It, it's like trying to be funny or cool, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. So do you give people that feedback? What's your advice? In um, that? Oh boy, if I'm like, oh, this is racist or something like that. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Like, would you want to get that feedback on your work? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Even when it was already finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that 
there is stuff where, you know, I look back and I'm like, mm, I don't really believe in this anymore. And so I don't put that on my website, for instance, and I don't make it public so that I'm not representing myself in that way in the future because, you know, people make mistakes and I'm not saying that I've done anything like super tacky um, or offensive, but like, I, yeah, I would absolutely want that information. I think there's also a thing of, um, because of the nature of just where digital media is and the, the rate at which people exchange information and like uh, the, age, the general age of like executives and things now, like people are more uh, woke, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you are behind the times and aren't aware of like, you think it's funny to make a trigger warning joke, like sometimes people will think that's funny and sometimes people will like, no, that's a real thing. You're an asshole. Um, and so like being, a, again, being aware of what joke you're making and who you're making it is, is a thing you should consider, I guess is what I'm saying. And I'm not like saying like, oh, and just tell racist jokes to white people. Like, we'll all laugh. That's not the point I'm making at all. I don't want to sound like that's what I'm saying. But like, you know, uh, I guess what I'm saying is like you, you would need, you would want to be extra sensitive to not pushing any buttons in say like a, a BuzzFeed video, right? Because that brand is very you know sensitive and mainstream but also like again like sensitive to racial politics and representation in a way that um that audience would would not be cool with like a domestic violence joke for instance right yeah it's uh it's interesting and whereas like the comedy store you can go make that joke right like it's not you have to you have to find your own taste level right yeah and and i think that's kind of the the blurry line. It's not about offending people so much or appropriateness or like some hurting someone's feelings as much as when you're coming to LA and you want to work in film and you want to say, Hey, I have a voice that needs to be heard. People inevitably are going to judge your taste. Right. And when you're sending work to agents and managers and putting it on Facebook and YouTube and comedy central and whoever you're trying to show your work to people, whether it's conscious or not, will feel whether you are saying something that that they feel is a part of their world and makes sense, or that feels a little outside or in in an uncomfortable way. There's like outside in a comfortable way, the right. like moonlight of you know the of the world where you're like I've never seen those people, but this feels so authentic and true. And then there's just the like take my wife please type of sure. <laughs> jokes that yeah. don't resonate here. And I want to say that. Maybe that stuff resonates in other parts of the country, you know, Mm -hmm. in a way that's different. But if you are trying to work your way up in the film business, it really only matters how it resonates uh, among the people that are running that business. Right. And so that's why you need to, even if you're a filmmaker and, you know, somewhere else that that doesn't really care about this stuff, you should care about how people here might feel of your think of your taste if you want them to represent you and right. work with you I, you know I, I think I'll, I'll say this about the topic in general because I think we're we're really approaching this from like more of like a business perspective basically how will you be perceived by Hollywood or or people who want to work with you basically so that's separate from our own personal beliefs and all of that right like um but I think it's really important that you realize that the people who will be evaluating whether or not they want to work with you um, 
are very good at interpreting media, whether that's reading a script or evaluating uh, you know, a short that you shot or something. So they're thinking about it critically and they're thinking about the ramifications that the this piece will have and, the, and your point of view will have on their viewership and their business and also culturally, whether or not it fits with the current movement of what's happening. And so um, you need to apply that same sort of critical eye to your own work. Right. And I want to say this isn't about being safe or not taking risks. It's about being sensitive to how someone other than you will take this in. And and it might not matter to you, which is also totally valid. But but I've been, I personally have been in many situations, I suspect more than Matt, where I've said something that has rubbed people the wrong way or has come off in a certain way. And and I and people have told me when when they have, I really appreciate it because I I don't want to be that guy in the room that says the thing that makes everyone feel like a little awkward, you know? Right, right. So, so that's it. Okay, well, uh, hopefully some of the people that emailed me listen to the podcast and they'll get the message from here because I don't <laughs> think I'm going to email any of them back and say that. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe. I think one final thing. I think that there's sometimes like a little bit of code words that people will say. Like it tends that like... You, maybe you wouldn't be called out explicitly for being a misogynist or a racist or for having an unbiased conscience in that direction, which is, I guess, a problem in itself. Um, like, it's okay to be called out for that stuff. If you say something stupid, like, you know, um, it's not someone else's job to, to tell you that you're being stupid, but also, like, if they do, you should listen. Um, but oftentimes people will kind of phrase things or, like, you know, they'll say, like, hmm, this part was a little iffy or what are, right. I'm trying to think of other examples where, or people might even say like, Oh, what if, you know, wouldn't it be cool if this character was a woman or something? You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good that's one. Code word for like, Hey, hey this is a little sexist. There's yeah. no, or there's no women in the script. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So cool. So, so be, I'm saying be aware of those other things as well. Sometimes because we're still in a pretty, you know, charged, charged society, like people won't feel comfortable saying these things quite as explicitly as maybe they need to be. But if you can be tuned into like reading like, oh, maybe this is what they meant by that. Why did they say it that way or things like that? That's worth uh, thinking through as well. Totally. Well, that was a great catch up, Matt. Uh, let us call Bramley. Okay, so we are recording with Bramley Knopf. Bramley, hello. Hi. So, Bramley, we do this segment on the show every once in a while. But every once in a while, I think this is actually the first time or second time we're doing it? Second time. Eben was the first one. Oh, Eben was the first. Eben was our first person. It's called The Call Sheet, and we uh, interview various people that are on our call sheets. Uh, and so you, what are you listed on, on the call sheet usually? Costume designer? Yeah, always costume designer. Never wardrobe artist. Never. Or stylist. Is that offensive? I mean, it's not offensive. It's just not accurate. Is glam squad offensive? I feel like people, like sometimes people get called glam squad and they hate it. And sometimes glam squad and they love it. Yeah. I wouldn't be stoked to be on someone's like glam squad. Can you tell it? What is a glam squad? Can you tell us? Yeah. A glam squad someone who travels around with your actor talent and they are your hair and makeup people 
and your wardrobe. So everyone usually travels together. But it's just a little bit different. I don't hear a lot of people say that ever really on set. It's just yeah, maybe That's not. more so for like the editorial world, the red carpet, the styling of, of um, you know, like uh, more high-end stuff. Sure. Right. Or, or music, music videos off, oftentimes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they call, I feel like they call them the vanities, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. They're just very different things. Like a stylist is so much different than a costume designer for me. I mean, it's like you're talking about the army and I'm talking about lemon. I don't look at runway and, what that, and what's hot right now. Like that's where I would feel like it's a little offensive to me. I build right. characters. They don't do what top 40 is. Right, right. That makes right. sense. So... Matt wrote down some questions that we were going to ask all the people on this segment. You're our first subject, so if they're not good, we'll we'll, we'll have learn to fix it. Yeah. Okay. So question number one is, what is your job exactly? So my job is anything that anybody wears. It doesn't matter if it's scrubs or if it's contemporary clothing. It's a costume, and you somebody writes something. You have writers, and you create a show or a film that you've created and then you work with showrunners and directors and writers and build those characters. You come up, you sit with them and figure out who these people are to them. And then you kind of put your spin on what that is for you. And then you you dress them. Great. And then what, what, what would you say people typically think you do? I think people think of like packaged costumes. A lot of times I think that people think of like, oh, costume designer. And then they think like, you make bears? I've heard that kind of a lot. Like Disneyland characters. Right. I think that's why people like to say wardrobe because it sounds, I think, better for them than costumes. Sounds like kitschy or something. Right. But your point is that the costume, like what Matt and I are wearing right now are like the costumes that define us as characters also. I did this thing for the Avengers one time when they were doing press and I'd worked for this production company a bunch and um, I can't remember what his name was. Um, he's the guy that wears the suit. Um, he also is on that TV show now, the Marvel TV oh, show. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. You, went, you, you mean like a literal, like a dress, like a suit suit, exactly. not like an Iron Man suit. Yeah. Yeah, so you were working with him. So they did this, um, they were doing a press day, but uh, and nobody was in costumes except for him. But on the show, in the movie, he wears a, a suit, a dress suit. And Marvel would not release the suit unless a union costume designer was there. And so I think that that's the, because they care about it so much. And it's not Tony Stark. It's not a Iron Man suit. It's just a Dolce and Gabbana, you know, shawl collar dress suit. But for them, it's a costume. It's important. Right. Cool. And you're, you are a union uh, costume designer, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what did you think you were going to do when you started working in this business? Did you think it was this? Um, no, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I think I, I didn't I don't think I could conceive of what this is at the time. I was 18 when I started working for my first costume designer. And I thought I was I was just her assistant at the time. And so I just ran all of her errands and ran all of the returns and learned the ins and outs of the costume department. 
So I didn't really have any other concept of what other people did as props or directors or anything. I just started out in such a small space. I was like, okay, these are where all of our stores are. These are where all the costume houses are. So once I worked in that longer, I realized the the business side of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I find I think a lot of positions in the film industry like you keep hearing directors or like cinematographers especially say that they didn't realize that there was a job of cinematographer when they were growing right. up, like watching movies. A hundred percent. And I well, think that most people still think that way about, you know, an actor's performance and of something. I think a lot of people think like, wow, he's like Robert Downey, for example, like, wow, he's so funny. Like what a funny guy. <laughs> yeah. It's somebody's job and they write that. I don't think people conceive of that. Right, that it's a team effort to make a performance. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I acted in this music video that our friend Joe Egender, or no, Sam and Alana made years ago. And somebody handed me like a pair of Converse to put on uh, for my character. And I looked down at my feet and I was like, oh, like if I look down at my feet, I feel like I'm looking down at Corey, who happens to be... Bramley's husband mm-hmm. and it was kind of when I realized like how literally just the shoes you wear can make you feel like a different person yeah like all those elements are are part of what are making up the performance even though we never really think about that yeah I think where that's that whole where dress rehearsals come from and why the, why the importance of those things it's mostly a theater thing but you know sometimes we still do it and I know that they do it sometimes in film too because it, it really helps actors and it helps see things that you wouldn't see before. I mean, if someone's wearing a hat and then there's a DP and they're like, hey, we're, that messes up my whole blocking with lighting. And you're like, oh, okay, that's where you work that kind of those things out. And that's where also I think a lot of actors come alive when they are wearing their costume or have their thing that makes them, you know, complete. Yeah, or even like I think in fittings, oftentimes that's where some of that work gets done as well. Yeah, yeah. And for those that don't know, the fitting is uh, is something we do usually before we shoot, where we're trying to close on the actors, making sure that they all fit. Because I'm sure Bramley can attest that many times the sizes the actors tell you they are have very little to do with the sizes they actually are. They actually are. Yeah, I feel like the more experienced, correct me if I'm wrong, Bramley, but the more experienced you are, the less likely it is that they exaggerate their sizes in one way or another. You'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I always, no matter what, pull a size down and a size up. And I first right. do a Google search of what they look like. <laughs> well, and speaking then of experience. I always do that because I don't know, because, you know, they're still people and people don't want to, they try to squeeze into things or, you know, it can be the opposite where someone has a complex of, you know, being in a fitting room is really vulnerable. It's a super vulnerable place for an actor to be. They're most of the time naked or completely stripped down and they, you know, it's your job to make them feel comfortable and make make it so that you can get the best performance out of them by making them feel good because when you look good you feel good and so yeah I think you know a lot of times they do but once they start to warm up a little bit and get their their things on they get excited and then it's better but all of that stuff comes through the fittings because most of the time 
people have complex about going into stores or they're like, oh, I just, you know, jeans don't fit me really well or this doesn't fit me really well. But 98% of the things that I put on somebody is tailored. Everything, tailoring is the most, is the backbone of of costumes, of wardrobe, of anything. That's how you make things. I can recut an entire dress that someone wouldn't necessarily be drawn to and then be in love with it because it fits their body. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. I find something that I try to do when I can, you know, in the commercial world, it's it's different because the client has so much say in, in what people are wearing. But I try to get the actor's reaction to what they're wearing, like ask them if they like it, you know, or if, if it's between two choices, ask them to help us make that choice because I want them to feel like their input is important in what they're wearing. Yeah, definitely. Well, so Bramley, this, this is kind of, these are the questions we ask everybody, uh, or we're intending to. So I think I know the answer to this one, but just in case, uh, where do you see your career in say five, five year plan? Yeah. Where do you see it progressing? Like what direction are you trying to, are you moving in? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think that everyone has an idea of what they want to do and what would I love to do? Well, I'd love to do like Mad Men. I would love the opportunity to do a super period piece. I, I love doing things like that. It's, I love doing research and figuring out, okay, we can't put these things on him because they, because zippers weren't created then. So we have to remove all the zippers and we have to make it true to the period. As an avid reader, I have been my whole life, and I love the story behind people and characters and all of those things, but it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. And being in the multi-cam show world, which is where I, where I started and where I continue to be is different it's easy it's a little bit easier and the hours are different maybe when my daughter gets older you know something like a, a period piece even just to have under my belt and, and work with creatives that are building those types of things that would be really fun for me i'd love to do some sort of crazy like post-apocalyptic avant-garde situation like film noir, I think that that's really my passion to do that stuff. But I am living and doing what I want to do. I love doing kids TV too. It's fun. And I think that that's a beautiful thing about the industry is you don't have to necessarily be married to one thing. You can, you can hop around and at least I can. I mean, some people are typically feature designers or sitcom designers or you get, you know, put into a box like everybody else does. But I also think you can swap around if you kind of master a few different things. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, no, it's a great answer. Bramley, how do you get jobs? How do you get gigs? Um, I've always gotten jobs by producers and people that I've worked for. That's how I've gotten all my jobs. Right. So Oren and Matt have never said, like, let's get Bramley on this. Is that what you're trying to see? <laughs> That's not entirely true. <laughs> <laughs> No, no uh, directors get like want to work with you also though right yeah and directors and directors too for sure but yeah always that always word of mouth i mean it's like the tale as old as time but it really is true i think it's who you know and people if you 
worked for. And they're like, so we then love who... you, we want to do this, and let's bring you on to this. Right, right. I guess that's how we meet most crew members, really. Yeah. Like, uh, Bramley, who do you collaborate with most closely? Uh, as far as, like, if it's the writer or the director, like that thing? Yeah, which which crew member? Who do you find yourself spending your most of your time with, basically? Like, is it client? Is it a director? Is it a writer? Who are your people that you're interfacing with regularly? It depends on what world it is and what and who cares the most. Like, if it's when I did, I did the pilot Blackish, and the showrunner of that show is this guy named Kenya Barris, and he's a genius, and he really cares about everything. That show is based on his life, so it's super personal for him. So he ran the show. It was very specific about everything that those actors wore. And then there's other times when I'm working with writers who wrote it who they are like on a multicam show and they're more attached to it. They care the most. Or it's the showrunners that are working with the executives for the network. And then it's a peeing contest of who matters, who's like wanting to do more power. It changes for everything. And if you're doing like a digital thing or commercial, you know, usually it's client and the director and the writer is really never there. Right. And I imagine some directors are much better at talking about costume design than others. Yeah, it depends. It just, it depends really on the person. I've worked with directors that really care. They want to sit with you. They want to be in fittings. They want to know they're super type A about how that goes down. And I've worked with directors who could care less and they leave that to the showrunner. But if you're doing it in the commercial world, I think I work mostly with the director. We build together of what that is. And I think usually the create the director has a clear vision. And then at the last minute, when we're doing something, client comes in and chooses based on the director's choices. I personally always go to the director first because I think that that's, I give him my choices, and then once he makes that decision, or she makes that decision, we I then take it to the client so that it's filtered through the director. Cool. And then what makes you good at your job, or like what do you do to stay good at your job? I love it. You've got to love it. I just, I'm just built for it. I, I, it happens all the time. I've been doing this since I was 18. I'm almost 29. And I just, every project that I do, there's always so many moments where I'm sitting on set or something that's just, we're establishing that first shot. And I like cannot believe it. I just can't believe that somebody's paying me to do this, to be a creative. I feel like a kid just being like, okay, well, do what you do. What do you think about that? And then playing with arts and crafts and tailors and designers and building that product. I, I love it. I, but you've got to love it because it's not for this. His job is not, his business is not for the week. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of, yeah, no, we're going to do that. We're going to do it in August. And then August doesn't come up. It doesn't happen until like two years from now. You have to, you've got to love it. Yeah, makes sense. Wish I felt that about directing. Ah, I thought you were going to say this show. About this show. <laughs> no, I, yeah. Just kidding. I love it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so speaking of directing, what do you, 
wish directors would do differently in terms of their interactions with you or wardrobe or like, you know, like, like what, do you, what makes your interaction with the director productive versus counterproductive? If you have an idea, if you have an idea and if you don't say that, because then I will offer, I will then take the reins on that. If you're, if we're building, um, a whatever world, let's say we're building like a high fashion world and it's a commercial and we want it to be this really big, um, Dolce & Gabbana vibe or whatever. Then if you're, if you have a, you know what, I love this and I want it to look like this and I want it to be really high fashion here and then I want it to fizzle out here and be more, I want to know everything that your thoughts are about that. And if you don't have any, if you're like, honestly, I'm really excited about this, but I don't know anything really about that, then I will come to you and I will show options of what I think it looks like and then we'll build from there. But it's the it's that in between person that's really challenging. Someone who really cares a lot, but then they don't, and they'll send you things, and then don't send them back. But there's just it's it's just this weird middle person that mm-hmm. you can't. There's a person. It's, I'm explaining that really terribly, but yeah. Well, I think a lot of directors, especially younger directors, have this for lack of a better term, like a chip on their shoulder, like they want to look like they have all the answers and have a vision, but they don't know what, and they feel embarrassed to say, I don't know, you know? So they'll send you a couple things that they like, but they don't know why they like them. And then when you show them something, they're like, no, not that. Yeah, and and it's funny because... That's that's a perfect way of putting it. That's the most frustrating person. Yeah, I've definitely been that person, <laughs> but tr- but try not to be that person anymore. I think we talk about this on the show a lot about how like part of being a director is like looking to your team for not just execution, but ideas, you know, and being honest about what you knowing what you don't know, you know, but yeah. I, I think Bramley, you nailed it when you said I'm really excited about this, but I don't know. Like, that's, I think, a really key aspect of it it doesn't mean that you don't care or that you're not excited uh it's just that maybe you aren't you know studied in the world of high fashion from this season and that can be okay right and there's also yeah there's also um like some like bramley and i just did a commercial right it's a guy in his living room playing a video game and it's like my first instinct would be like he's just a regular guy just put him in regular guy clothing you know um and so i think it's like being able to say like hey to me this doesn't look like there's much thought to go into this can you as a costume designer tell me what there is to think about you know like are there certain options of shirts or layers i should think of or pants or shoes or what is because to me it doesn't seem like it just seems like he should just wear what i'm wearing right now but can you educate me as to like what the directions we can go with what he's wearing is? And that's, that's fine because yeah, when you're doing a period piece or you're doing Westworld, when you're doing a superhero movie, the wardrobe might be a little more obvious, like what directions you need to go in. But when you're doing real life, it gets a little more nuanced and that's when you can really lean on the costume designer to, to bring ideas to the table that aren't so obvious. Yeah. A question I always ask, people when we're doing um when we're building characters is I always ask the director what kind of music does this person listen to like when you first look at them and you 
you're, you've been sitting with these characters for so long. Who is this guy? Who is this girl? And what kind of music does she listen to? Because most people can relate to music, even if they don't even know that type of or style of music. If, if they think, you know, I just feel like this guy is, you know, really, he loves Metallica and he's this, this, and you're just talking out loud, trying to figure out who this person is. That's really helpful to me because I can tap into that world and give you options within that world of people who's at a Metallica concert, who's this kind of, and this age range and this whatever, and give you options. You're like, that's it. Or no, we're not quite there yet. And and then I can still build, that's still an okay answer. I'm like, okay, let me do another spin at it. And then like you said, with the layers, if you're like, I just feel like it's not, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, but it's just not right yet. But if you're okay with where we are in the world, I can add and build on that or take away from so that mm-hmm. when you see the second part two, you can go, that's it. I knew something was a myth. I just didn't know what it was. Right. Well, awesome. Well, we should probably wrap up. But uh, do you have any final kind of advice for new filmmakers in L.A. Uh, from your point of view to, to sign off with? Um, yeah, I think that if you want to break into it, I think that you should find somebody and I know it's really tough, but work for free. It's everybody that I did it, a bunch of people that I know have done it, like find somebody and just follow them around and see how, go into a costume department, see how that works, because it's not something that you can teach by a book or something. You have to like get in the field and know what you're doing and how those things work and meet those kinds of people you know start out working for free or interning or see what PAs you can do but it really is I think just you got to work yourself up you got to work your way up yeah there is definitely a little bit of uh like people being in a hurry to get to the top sure (laughs) um yeah but yeah well cool well thanks so much for talking to us um what, do you have any cool projects coming up that we should look out for? Um, I'm doing a pilot that starts on Monday from Nickelodeon. I do, I do a bunch of their fun stuff, a lot of their live action. So that's what I got going on. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking to us. Yeah, same. Um, okay, cool, guys. We'll have a good day. I'll see you later. Hey, oh, thanks, thanks family. family. All right, bye. bye. Well, that was a great conversation with Bramley. That was really cool. How many you've worked with her? How many times? Uh, just one time. I tried to hire her on another thing, and it oh. kind of um, didn't end up getting to happen. Unfortunately, sorry, Bramley. She's but again, soon. so good. She's good. It's crazy. Like you ask her for a white T-shirt, and you say you have a five-dollar budget, and she'll show up with forty-five T-shirts yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sweatshirts and pants and this. And she's like, "Yeah, I just kind of." Yeah. She has like, I mean, this is again good for every crew position, but she has a really good sense of anticipating where things might move. Mm-hmm. Like from just very subtle things you might mention to her offhandedly, she'll be like. Yeah, you had mentioned a hat. I know everyone said absolutely no hats, but I just brought a few I had, hats. I had just... a couple hats just in case. And isn't mad when you don't use the hat. Right. He's not mad. and But also the client, especially on commercial stuff, which is most of what we've done with her, there's like this feeling from the client of like, wow, they're really they're really ready for anything. You know, I think it, it, it just 
you know, I feel like I could just send someone to the wardrobe trailer right. and the client feels like already like they've been so listened to and so involved in the decision making. It's just like a really fun part of of making the client feel good about what you're doing. Um, cool. Well, let's go on to unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. I, I'll go first. I found this this website. This guy, Joey Costco, made this website that has all the floor plans of your favorite TV offices. Have you seen <laughs> this before? No. So, like, here's, like, the office. Oh, wow. Here's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Friends, The Simpsons, like, what most tavern is set up like. Mad Men, um, and he makes these like overhead views of the offices, and I think they're so cool because a lot of times when you're designing a set from scratch, you know, you're trying to take, you're trying to model it after real life, but you also want it to like look good on camera. You look want, good and to like have a lot of different angles and like yeah, and hide like different things, passageways, feels bigger. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like a cool, really cool way you can try to pull a bunch of images from those shows. But someone has already broken down like the overhead sets of all these awesome TV shows. His name is Joey Costco. He's not actually, he's the one that wrote this up. It's the folks at BizDAQ, B-I-Z-D-A-Q, who drew up the floor plans. So we'll put it in the show notes. Check it out. Really cool. Yeah, Matt. that sounds that sounds great. Uh, well, so uh, while I was traveling, uh, The Founder, I watched The Founder on the plane and... Um, you know, it's a, it's got a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'd say that's about right. Um, <laughs> is but, it about Scientology? No, no, no. It is about oh, the, oh, the McDonald's. McDonald's. Michael yes. Keaton, who I love. Roy Kroc. Roy Kroc. Yeah. Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc. Um, Solid Kroc. It, what's, what stuck with me about it, though, is that um, because, you know, it's based off of a real person and that person did some things that you wouldn't have a Hollywood character do in a Hollywood movie. It's got this interesting sort of shape to it that I don't know how I feel about. Like, not to spoil too much, if you're really, like, you know, really excited about the founder, maybe skip this, but, like, basically he starts as kind of this down-on-his-luck, aw shucks kind of guy who really needs a break, and you think it's going to be about him and his wife kind of coming together. That's that's the way it's set up, basically. So it's going to be this great American story about this guy who builds this company, and he. It's really about him transforming into a shark and like leaving his wife and like really like fucking over these two guys who invented McDonald's, basically played by um, uh, John Carroll Lynch and uh, Nick Offerman. So you kind of like oh, them cool. already. Like they're really great. Everybody's very good in the movie, but like. It's this hero's journey, but his journey is, you know, into becoming this kind of monster. Yeah, it's you know? very Scorsese-esque, right? Like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, but you never think that Ray Liotta in the beginning of Goodfellas is going to have a redemption. Right. You know, like the, the he's an anti-hero, but with a traditional Hollywood first act. Right, right. Which is so, it's it's a very kind of strange movie for that reason. So it's stuck with me. I've been thinking about it a lot and talking to people about it. So um, for that reason, I endorse it. Yeah, I want to check it out. I have not seen it, but I heard about the scene where they're like on the tennis courts and they're trying to mm-hmm. figure out how yeah. to build the kitchen of a McDonald's in the most efficient way. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to like about it. Um, and all the performances are good. Cool. Yeah. Okay, I'll check it out. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Industry Banter. 
<laughs> I guess it's just like any other episode. I just feel like we talked a lot this episode. Yeah. But uh, please let us know what you think. Uh, if there's any specific crew positions you'd like to hear on the our call sheet segment, please let us know. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at justshootitpod on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet at me at, at smiteypileg. And I'm at Mr. Badenlo. Check us out on Instagram, justshootitpod, Reddit, r slash just shoot it pod we're all over the place guys and rate us on itunes if you can we will read them out loud on our next episode this episode was edited by christopher gray and our music was provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar thanks everyone bye